Welcome to Celebrate Poe, an examination of the life, works, and times of America's Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe. This podcast also looks at some of the many influences on Poe's writing, as well as some of the countless writers who have been influenced by Poe. This is episode 74, Call Me By Your Name. A good part of it includes a letter written by the author of Dracula to Walt Whitman, and it just might be one of the most amazing things you've ever heard, so stay with me. And if you have any comments or questions, please contact me at CelebratePoe, that's all one word, CelebratePoe at gmail.com. I really welcome and treasure any comments or suggestions. They mean a great deal to me. So please do not hesitate to write me at CelebratePoe at gmail.com. Now today, Celebrate Poe uh, is uh, finally getting closer to Bram Stoker's masterpiece, Dracula. I wanted to do this podcast several weeks before, but uh, kept running into so many connections to other relevant topics concerning vampires. Uh, Remember that uh, while Poe never specifically used the word vampire in, uh, in any of his works, he wrote five stories between 1835 and 1842 that in many ways formed the basis for the majority of his prose works, and all those works deal with the undead. Those five stories are Berenice, Morella, Legia, the Fall of the House of Usher, and the Oval Portrait. In all these tales, Poe writes about the essential vampiric nature of human relationships, the love that persists beyond the grave. By the way, the original title for Dracula was The Undead. Poe also writes about this love that exists beyond the grave in some of his greatest poems. All you have to do is look at the raven with uh, its preoccupation of the narrator with a dead lover. Poe wrote about the neglect of a former love in his first published work, Tamerlane, and continued this theme until one of his last and greatest works, Annabelle Lee. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we. And neither the angels in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabelle Lee, and the stars never rise, but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And so, all the night tide I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride, in her sepulcher there by the sea, in her tomb by the sounding sea. Now, while Poe and Stoker's works were separated by decades, we need to remember that both writers produced their works in the 19th century. This was a time when people were just understanding how the world works. And not surprisingly, horror stories that questioned that understanding were very popular. 
it's been said that Dracula has sold more copies than any book ever written, with the possible exception of the King James Version of the Bible. Though, how many people have read Dracula in its entirety uh, is questionable. But before this podcast episode gets into the actual text of Dracula, I think it would be really helpful to look more at Bram Stoker and some of the circumstances surrounding the writing of Dracula. Doing this can really add to our understanding of how our culture has looked at Bram Stoker's masterpiece. And you might hear some ideas that challenge you, surprise you, and maybe even make you angry. But stay with me, and I'll show you what I mean. Now, first, uh, I wondered uh, what I could say that uh, was even remotely new about Dracula, and I thought I would have enough trouble getting enough solid information for one podcast episode. Then, before I knew it, I started getting more than enough for an episode. Then I easily had enough for two episodes. Then I realized that was just there was just no way I could even begin to do justice to Dracula in less than three episodes. So think of this podcast episode as the first of two parts about people that Bram personally knew who might have served as influences for Dracula. First episode 74, Call Me By Your Name, about Walt Whitman. Then episode 75, The Manipulative Lover, about the greatest English actor of his day, Sir Henry Irving. Then episode 76, about the novel Dracula itself. Now, this podcast has previously discussed two historical rulers who some scholars believe were partial inspirations for the character of Dracula, Vlad the Impaler and Countess Elizabeth Bathory. But first, I would like to go back to Bram Stoker's childhood on the outskirts of Dublin, Ireland. As you may remember, his mother was an extremely active social reformer, and we saw some of that love for animals in his short story, The Squall. Stoker was a very sickly child. We don't exactly know why, but he was confined to his bed for much of his early life. During that time, his mother entertained him with graphic Irish stories and legends, and that included grandiose supernatural tales and accounts of death and disease. During his mother's youth, much of the community suffered from cholera. You probably remember cholera from earlier episodes uh, as uh, death from diarrhea. Probably some of those graphic stories served as a foundation for some of the graphic Gothic motifs that Stoker later used in his works. He did eventually recover from his illnesses, no one really knows why, and apparently became quite athletic, especially in such areas as football, racing, and weightlifting. He entered Trinity College, Dublin, and uh, one of his classmates was fellow Irishman Oscar Wilde, though they never really became very close friends. Now, like his father, Stoker worked with the Irish Civil Service. During this time, he also began writing short stories and theater reviews, an activity that was to change his life, but we'll get into that as well as what many scholars have referred to as his basically loveless marriage in the next episode. 
Although we know Bram Stoker as a writer who has become extremely well-known, when he was 24 years old, he was still months away from publishing his first work. But he had read some of the writings of Walt Whitman and realized that uh, Whitman was his literary idol. In fact, when his schoolmates at Trinity College universally criticized Whitman, Bram Stoker stood up for him and praised his works. Bram Stoker must have felt a real affinity for Whitman's writings because when Stoker was just 24 years old, he wrote a letter expressing his admiration and adoration to the American. Stoker saw Whitman as a kindred spirit. Imagine, these are Victorian times when Stoker would have been writing, and strangers just didn't express their feelings to other strangers, and they were very cautious and reserved in what they did say. And here's young Bram Stoker expressing his inner self-doubts, his adoration for a fellow artist, and intense feelings in what amounted to a love letter written to a complete stranger thousands of miles away. And that stranger was another man. After he wrote it, Stoker realized that sending the letter might be highly inappropriate and put the letter away in his desk. But four years later, on Valentine's Day of all days, he summoned up enough courage to send the letter with an explanatory note. For that explanatory note, Stoker wrote, My dear Mr. Whitman, I hope you will not consider this letter from an utter stranger a liberty. Four years ago, I wrote the the enclosed draft of a letter which I intended to copy out and send to you. It has lain in my desk since then, but I heard that you were addressed as Mr. Whitman, and it speaks for itself and needs no comment. The four years which have elapsed have made me love your work fourfold, and I can truly say that I have ever spoken as your friend. You know what hostile criticism your work sometimes evokes here, and I wage a perpetual war with many friends on your behalf. But I'm glad to say that I have been the means of making your work known to many who were scoffers at first. The years which have passed have not been uneventful to me, and I have felt and thought and suffered much in them. And I can truly say that from you I have had much pleasure and much consolation. I write this openly because I feel that with you one must be open. Do not think me cheeky for writing this. I only hope we may sometime meet, and I shall be able, perhaps, to say what I cannot write. I I, I am sorry that you are not strong. Many of us are hoping to see you in Ireland. We had arranged to have a meeting for you. I do not know if you like getting letters. If you do, I shall only be too happy to send you news of how thought goes among the men I know. With truest wishes for your health and happiness, believe me, your friend, Bram Stoker. The original letter, now remember, Stoker had never met Walt Whitman before, was also included. He wrote, 
If you are the man I take you to be, you will like to get this letter. If you are not, I don't care whether you like it or not, and only ask that you put it into the fire without reading any farther. But I believe you will like it. I don't think there is a man living, even you who are above the prejudices of the class of small-minded men, who wouldn't like to get a letter from a younger man, a stranger, across the world, a man living in an atmosphere prejudiced to the truths you sing and your manner of singing them. The idea that arises in my mind is whether there is a man living who would have the pluck to burn a letter in which he felt the smallest atom of interest without reading it. I believe you would, and that you believe you would yourself. You can burn this now and test yourself, and all I will ask for my trouble of writing this letter, which for all I can tell you may light your pipe with or apply to some more ignoble purpose, is that you will in some manner let me know that my words have tested your impatience. Put it in the fire if you like, but if you do, you will miss the pleasure of the next sentence, which ought to be that you have conquered an unworthy impulse. A man who is, who is certain of his own strength might try to encourage himself a piece of bravo, but a man who can write, as you have written, the most candid words that ever fell from the lips of a mortal man can have no fear for his own strength. If you have gone this far, you may read the letter, and I feel in writing now that I am talking to you. If I were before your face, I would like to shake hands with you, for I feel that I would like you. I would like to call you comrade, and to talk to you as men who are not poets do not often talk. I think that at first a man would be ashamed, for a man cannot in a moment break the habit of comparative reticence that has become second nature to him. But I know I would not long to be ashamed to be natural before you. You are a true man, and I would like to be one myself. And so I would be towards you as a brother and as a pupil to his master. In this age, no man becomes worthy of the name without an effort. You have shaken off the shackles, and your wings are free. Now, this is an important line. I have the shackles on my shoulders still, but I have no wings. Now, what does Stoker mean by that? It kind of sounds like a closet case to me. He continues with, If you are going to continue to read this letter any further, I should tell you that I am not prepared to give up all else so far as words go. The only thing I am prepared to give up is prejudice. And before I knew you, I had begun to throw overboard my cargo, but it is not all gone yet. I do not know how you will take this letter. I have not addressed you in any form as I hear that you dislike to a certain degree the conventional forms and letters. I am writing to you because you are different from other men. If you were the same as the mass of men, I would not write at all. As it is, I must either call you Walt Whitman or not call you at all, and I have chosen the latter course. Uh, what does he mean by not call you at all? Uh, I do not know 
whether it is unusual for you to get letters from utter strangers who have not even the claim of literary brotherhood to write you. I will only hope that sometime I may meet you face to face and perhaps shake hands with you. If ever do it, it will be one of the greatest pleasures of my life. I have read your poems with my door locked late at night, and I have read them on the seashore where I could look all around me and see no more sign of human life than the ships out at sea. And here I often found myself waking up with the book open before me. I love all poetry, and high generous thoughts make the tears rush to my eyes. But sometimes a word or a phrase of yours takes me away from the world around me and places me in an ideal land surrounded by realities more than any poem I have ever read. Be assured of this, Walt Whitman, that a man of less than half your own age, reared a conservative and a conservative country, and who always has heard your name cried down by the great mass of people who mention it, here felt his heart leap towards you across the Atlantic and his soul swelling at the words or rather the thoughts. It is vain for me to quote all instances of what thoughts of yours I like best, for I like them all, and you must feel you are reading the true words of one who feels with you. You see, I have called you by your name. Now, whoa, 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 I have to stop there. I have called you by your name. Uh, When I saw those words, I was reminded of the recent movie, Call Me By Your Name. I looked up the phrase, call me by your name, and it means to want another person to the point of possession, or that uh, two people or even forces of energy have become so much a part of each other that the two are now one, the deepest kind of intimacy. And from a religious standpoint, the earliest use of this phrase I have found, the phrase I have called you by by my name, is from Isaiah in the Old Testament of the Bible. It reads, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor the flame scorch you. Is Bram's Stoker somehow expressing a relationship or possible connection with Whitman that is more than physical life, that is spiritual and will always protect him? Well, anyway, back to the correspondence. He goes on to say, I have been more candid with you, have said more about myself to you than I have said to anyone before. You will not be angry with me if you have read so far. You will not laugh at me for writing this to you. It was no small effort that I began to write, and I feel reluctant to stop, but I must not tire you any more. If you would ever care to have more than you can imagine, for you have a great heart, how much pleasure it would be to me to write more to you. How sweet a thing it is for a strong, healthy man with a woman's eye and a child's wishes to feel that he can speak to a man who can be, if he wishes, father and brother and wife to his soul. 
I don't think you will laugh. I don't think you will laugh, Walt Whitman, nor despise me, but at all events I thank you for all the love and sympathy you have given me in common with my kind. Hmm. Now, what does Bram Stoker mean by my kind? Could he be referring to more than artistic commonalities, those who disagree with the conventional standards of society? A kind of inner knowledge about himself that terrified Bram Stoker. Now, remember, Stoker was nearly 30, 30 years old, an old bachelor by the standards of the time. When he did marry the next year, he married the beauty previously courted by Oscar Wilde. Had uh, Bram Stoker picked up on the homoerotic undertones of Whitman's Leaves of Grass and felt that his inner conflicts were being expressed? Stoker received a response from Whitman just three weeks later, which is saying a lot because this was uh, 1876 and mail had to cross the Atlantic Ocean by ship. On March the 6th, Whitman wrote his young admirer, Bram Stoker, my dear young man, your letters have been most welcome to me, welcome to me as a person and then as author. I don't know which most, you, you did so well to write to me so unconventionally, so fresh, so manly, and affectionately, too. Uh, I, too ho- I do hope, though, though it is not probable, that uh, we will someday personally meet each other. Meantime, uh, I send my friendship and thanks. At the time, Whitman had suffered a stroke and was unsure about his health. He goes on to say, My physique is utterly shattered from paralysis and and other ailments, but I am up and dressed and get out every day a little, live here quite lonesome, but hearty and have good spirits. Write to me again. But within a year, Whitman almost immediately and miraculously regained complete function of his body, and his poetry reached new heights. And Stoker continued writing on the other side of the pond, eventually producing his masterpiece, Dracula. According to Dracula expert Professor Elizabeth Miller, the main influence for the fictional character of Dracula was not the brutal Vlad the Impaler, but writer Walt Whitman. According to Dr. Miller, Walt Whitman was the 19th century's most important author, largely because he influenced important authors like Oscar Wilde and Bram Stoker. He was an author that was read not so much by the public, but by the great authors, while both Wilde and Stoker said he was the world's greatest writer. And Barbara Belford has written that Whitman's influence on Dracula was profound. Stoker wrote that Whitman was, quote, father to his soul, unquote. In a way, this is really strange because the vampire at times in Dracula resembled Whitman. Both Whitman and the vampire during certain times had long white hair, a heavy mustache, and great height and strength. Walt Whitman was a really big guy. In conclusion, I would like to emphasize that Whitman's poetry celebrates the miracle of death and the death-like quality of love. 
Perhaps most striking of all that he wrote was the 11-line poem, Tickle Drops. Tickle drops, my blue veins leaving, oh, drops of me, trickle, slow drops, candid from me falling, drip, bleeding drops, from wounds made to free you whence you were prisoned, from my face, from my forehead and lips, from my breast, from and from where within I was concealed, press forth red drops, confession drops, stain every page, stain every song I sing, every word I say, bloody drops. Let them know your scarlet heat. Let them glisten. Saturate them with yourself, all ashamed and wet. Glow upon all I have written or shall write. Bleeding drops. Let all be seen in your light. Blushing drops. Sources for this episode include Dead Brides, Vampire Tales by Edgar Allan Poe with a foreword by H.P. Lovecraft, When Bram Met Walt by Meredith Hindley for the National Endowment for the Humanities, The Poe Log, A Documentary Life of Edgar Allan Poe, 1809-1849 to by Dwight, Tom- Dwight Thomas and David K. Jackson, the Vampire Book by Sally Reagan. The Vampire in Legend, Fact, and Art by Basil Cooper. Dracula by Bram Stoker. Encyclopedia of the Vampire. The Living Death in Myth, Legend, and Popular Culture. And The Complete Works of Walt Whitman by Walt Whitman. Why not visit my podcast website at celebratepoe.buzzsprout.com. Click on the episode you want to, more le- to want to learn more about to see its show notes and a transcript. Now, the next episode concentrates on Henry Irving. You may not be quite as familiar with him, but he was an extremely manipulative individual who was considered the greatest actor of his day. Learn about what many scholars believe was a dysfunctional relationship between Bram Stoker and Irving and how it may have changed literature. Hopefully you will have a better understanding of uh, where this is all leading to. And then for the next few weeks, I will talk about a few of the many, many vampire movies out there, from the original Dracula to Nosferatu to Empire, an interview with the vampire to the Twilight series, among others. Then Celebrate Poe will specifically cover Poe's years as a child in England, especially his education. I'm finding some exciting stuff regarding the information that he learned, especially in the form of classical rhetoric, information that he learned to become one of America's greatest writers. Well, thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe.